Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. This is a wonderful opportunity for me just to to be here with you and talk to you about the same kind of things that Jamie's been talking so powerfully about and Aaron did last week. And it's about, uh, and, and what happened is I, I began to look at the church, the jailhouse church. I got a friend that's in Huntsville in a jailhouse. I get letters from him. I go down and see him. He's got church down there all the time. He's got more church down there than I've got here. All the time. But when I get a letter from him, it's, it weighs. It's heavy. It means something. I take it seriously. Because when I go in that place, I have an immediate panic attack. That's scary. 30-foot-high walls, machine guns, the whole deal, it's there. He's been in there five years and won't even be up for parole for another eight, eight years. So... This is, today we're talking about what's going on in a jailhouse. And most jailhouses then were worse. Terrible times. But the most important thing here is that if anyone is in Christ, they live in a new world. And it doesn't really matter whether they're in jail or out of jail. Now what happens is there's a former Jewish terrorist finds himself in a jail in Ephesus, about 55, 56. It's something like Huntsville, the Walls unit. Not a place you ever want to be. Why is he there? He's there because his father, Abraham, 2,000 years before, had been called to be the father of a nation that would bless the world. See, God speaks to all people all over the world all the time. But he only speaks to one group of people to bless everybody else. That's why he spoke to Israel. Not a self-centered thing. He speaks to them and he works in them for the sake of everybody else. He does the same thing in a church now. But what happens is Israel flunks. Israel fails miserably. And after 600 years of the Holy Spirit not being in the temple... When you thought God was going to sue for divorce, you know, he he renews his vows by sending Jesus. That's stunning. When I look at that exile, all that time, that's a long time, 600 years. That's before Columbus. 600 years. Here comes Jesus. He brings the kingdom. He defeats Satan. He dies on a cross. He's resurrected and ascended. Now the prisoner was his enemy at the get-go. And he, he opposed Jesus. He killed Christians. That's why I called him a terrorist. But when Jesus comes to him, he tells Ananias, you go down there and talk to that guy. And Ananias is kind of scared of him. He says, tell him two things. He's going to go to the nations, and he's going to suffer a lot. <laughs> it's not good marketing. He signs on anyway. He signs on because of the overwhelming revelation of God to him on the road to Damascus. And so we find him 25 years later in a horrific jail in Ephesus 
because of his preaching of the King Jesus gospel. And I used to think Paul and all those guys in the Bible were so different than us. They're not. All of them were losers, but for Jesus, just like us. So in 2 Corinthians 1.8, he said, I was under pressure beyond my ability to endure. I despaired of life itself. I believed I was being sentenced to death. Paul had to be a mess to be around all during that time. It was all he could do not to kill himself. That's Paul. But he says it taught him to rely on the God of the resurrection. So when you fast a little bit further, he's come out of the pit. And it's AD 56. And now as he writes the letter to Colossae, there's a church in that jailhouse. It, the name, the church in the Greek is ekklesia. Ekklesia is, doesn't come from religion. It comes from business and politics. The ecclesia of Colossae was where the citizens of Colossae did the business of Colossae. Now, let's talk about what the ecclesia is. The ecclesia here and everywhere are the citizens of heaven doing the business of heaven in this neighborhood. That's what we do here. And if you're not doing that, you don't really belong here. Now, there's a gang of nine they didn't, let, they didn't have women in these jails visiting these men for a lot of reasons back then. So there's nine people who are ministering to this apostle and gathering around, and, he, and that he is ministering to. Equipping, teaching, loving. Epaphras, Timothy, Mark, Luke, a, a runaway slave named Onesimus. He, that word, his name means useful. You know his mother didn't name him that. A master did. Demas, Justus, Aristarchus, and a guy named Tychicus who takes a couple of letters, finally, down the road to Colossae from the jailhouse in Ephesus. In that jailhouse, they're rocking. There's celebration there. There has to be because that's what Paul did. When you read about him, that's what he was doing. He was celebrating the mighty acts of God all the time. And he was in jail a lot. There's support provided. The Romans didn't provide you food. Romans jailed you. Typically, if you went to Roman jail for very long, you just simply died. He had friends bringing in food, clothes, whatever. Whatever was needed. The Christians were known for this in the first 300 years. But at the end of the day, you've got the chains on you, on your arms and on your legs. And at the end of the day, the prison is a place of pain, of panic attacks. I've had those. I can't imagine being chained in a prison and staying spiritually strong. I have a friend that's going through that right now at Huntsville. And I am in awe. Every time I see him in his orange suit, in this harsh place, and the joy of the Lord on him, I think, wow. The Holy Spirit doesn't just live in these little buildings here or in people out here. It's active going on in these prisons. That's what's happening here. It also is the disciples' crucible. It's where... To me, the, the question in prison really is this. Is faith really the victory?
that overcomes the world? The answer is, is yes. What really is important here is there was opportunity for networking. People could come into those jails. I saw, I see a lot on network at, at, at Huntsville right now. There's a lot of wonderful people ministering in prisons, the power and the presence of God all over the United States. They're networking. Citizens of heaven are doing the business of heaven in the jail houses. They were there in Ephesus. Because if any man or woman are in Christ, they live in a new world. It doesn't matter your zip code. It doesn't matter. In that jail, there's some miracles going on. Aristarchus, Justice, and Mark are three Jews. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. They called each other pigs and dogs. But in there, he says, they're working for the kingdom of God, the rule of God through King Jesus. They are with him, ministering to him, hanging out with him. They're doing doctrine. They're doing finances. They're doing food. They're doing hugs. They're doing holy kisses. They're doing prayers. They're doing the whole thing, hanging out love. And they're doing it with four Gentiles in the room. And then Timothy, who has a Jewish mother and a Greek father. See, if the races in this time of racism are not together in Christ, the gospel is not being preached in that place. Paul told Peter one time, it wasn't because Peter had bad orthodoxy, he had a bad orthopraxy. Paul, I mean, Peter, you, why did you pull away from those Gentiles and not eat with us when your Jewish brothers were standing there. This is in Galatians 2. He says, you were not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. Racism doesn't walk in line with that. In that jail is Mark. <clears throat> if you read Acts, you know that Paul, well, on the first missionary journey, Mark's with Paul. And Mark disappears. Nobody knows where he went. And so when they start the second missionary journey, Paul says, I'm not taking that guy. Barnabas disagrees. Paul goes with Silas. Barnabas goes with Mark. Well, what's happening now? Fast forward several years. Mark is in the jail ministering to Paul. That's called reconciliation. It points to a reconciliation with Barnabas. They move from exclusion. See, forgiveness is judgment and gift. You did me wrong. I give you the gift. But I may not want to be in the same room with you anymore. But you, we have to move to reconciliation, which is exclusion to embrace. That's what's happened here. That is the gospel. And so what is, what is happening is that God is bringing back together what was once together but ripped apart. Do you have any people in your life that you were once with but not, but not now? Okay. We all do. You know what I've actually done? I've actually uh, written them off. 
since I don't think about them, they don't exist. Well, that's crazy. But reconciliation is the power to bring back together what was once together, but has been ripped apart. And reconciliation is moving all through the jailhouse church. Hallelujah. All over it. That's what, that's what God does in the world. So he doesn't just reconcile you with God, but when, when we all come to God like this, it's obvious we come together. We can't do it, but that happens. It's not something you get to choose. I just don't want to be in a church with those people. One lady said, I just don't, they need to go be with their kind. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. She gets forgiveness between her and God, but she hasn't got the fact that he's bringing us all together. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what Paul's doing in the jailhouse church. So that's what's happening with Mark. Later we'll see that's what's happening in that jailhouse church is a guy named Philemon. He becomes a Christian, and his slave is Onesimus, and Onesimus leaves. Well, actually, Ones I should say that. Onesimus runs off and rips off Philemon. And so the drama at the end is what's going to happen because where does he go? He goes to a jailhouse. I'm going to get there in a minute to this. I'm ahead of myself. But what it ends up being is bringing back together what was once together but has been ripped apart. That happens with us and God, but it happens with us and each other. And so this is, this is really the theme. You look at this. This is the theme of what all is going on here. And if you look in the New Testament, the R-E words in English, R-E, reconciliation, redemption, means once you were free, you're enslaved, and now you're free again. Renewal means once you were new, you got really old and died, now you're being renewed. Resurrection, all the R-E words are about the miracles of God in the world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, disagreements do not become, do not become bigger. If they don't become bigger than a disagreement, they don't become division. Sin makes a disagreement division. Sometimes I thought, I just can't be there anymore. I disagree with him. You know what? There, iron sharpening iron is two people loving each other, disagreeing, and, and the ideas conflicting, and they grow. I grow because you're here. I want to hear your views. Everybody in the church helps me. As long as we're not bludgeoning each other, this is about this coming together, disagreeing. The disagreement between Barnabas and Paul was not big enough to become sin. He says, you know, Paul wrote Rome and he said, do not destroy the work of God over Jewish food laws. So probably he's already said that to Rome. Now he says, I got to say it to myself. Do not destroy the work of God over my disagreement about this young man, Mark, whom I did not trust. But look at him. He's serving. He's better than I am. So what you see going on with Paul, the father, Mark, Barnabas, Luke, Peter, 
many of whom had fallen out. They learned how big Jesus is by disagreeing with beloveds and then becoming buddies again. In other words, you change your heart, not churches. You don't change churches. You don't relocate and reinvent yourself. People do that all the time, man. I don't think you were that person back there. You relocated and reinvented. Repentance is the option. Kingdom option. There's no relocate and reinvent as a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is repentance is a gift of the Holy Spirit. See, leaving, leaving is our oldest habit. Staying is our original calling. In Christ, after a while, if we tell the story and we praise God enough and we soak in the big story and what really is going on here, our offenses disappear into the story. They're swallowed up by the mercies of God. A young man, Mark, is saved from the pettiness of religion. Into un, he, in, in unforgiveness that goes with it, into serving Paul in jail. And the kingdom is happening, and this reason it's happening. So 10 years later, look what happens. Young man being discipled by Daddy Paul. Paul embodies all this. He has reconciliation in one wounded body. Everybody hammers him, and he keeps loving all of them. He is a bridge. That's what he was. A bridge between Palestine and New York City. It's because of him, he opened up the whole world to Jesus. So a few years later, this thing is big, and the Emperor Nero starts having garden parties in which the entertainment is setting Christians on fire. Mark, the guy in the jail, the young man in the jail, who's been equipped by the older man in the faith, and the older man in the faith is probably dead. Nero killed him. Mark writes the Gospel of Mark to a church suffering, a church agonizing. He knows the issues about pain. He had heard Paul out loud dictate to Timothy, suffering is an opportunity to fill up the sufferings of Christ for the world and the people of God. And so he makes sure that in the gospel of Mark in chapter 8, he says, he that saves his life will lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall find it. He's telling the Romans what he has learned in the jails and what he's learned with Paul and with Barnabas. What later on Frederick Buechner in his novel, Godric, has Godric saying. And I want, I want you all to say this out loud. Hopefully we have it here. All the death. Listen to this. This is what I think Mark comes to understand. All the death that ever was compared to life shall scarcely fill a cup. It's not on the overhead, but I think we can remember this. Jesus Christ gives eternal life to the world. We're never going to die. Hallelujah. People around us are dying all the time. So all the death that ever was compared to life because of Jesus shall scarcely fill a cup. Come on. All right. Can you all repeat this after me? I'm going to say, say it with me. It's up here now. Come on, guys. This is not just, this is an exercise in getting out of a funk. 
all the time. Joy isn't an emotion, it's a gift. But it doesn't come from just, you know, some kind of magic. It comes from believing this is true. So let's look at this and say this out loud together right now. I'll just say it. All the death that ever was compared to life shall scarcely fill a cup. Let's say it once more. All the death that ever was compared to life shall scarcely fill a cup. This is so such wonderful truth that we have. Luke is a Gentile in there. He's coming to experience the same thing. He's forged there. He suffers there. Something's being formed in the faithfulness through suffering of the jailhouse church. It's like the process of burning color into glass. Spirituality of Jesus is being burned into them. They don't just have doctrine, they have life. They don't just have light, they have color. And doctrine and life and color and light, as the poet says, in one, when they combine and mingle, bring a strong regard and awe. But if you're just talking, it does not conscience ring. See, the world, the fruit of all this was world changing. Think about this. In that little jailhouse church, they authored 155 chapters of a 260 chapter New Testament. It came out of suffering. It came out of going through hell and, and through the other side. Faithfulness through suffering and with the Holy Spirit. They learned that faith is the victory that overcomes the world by being in jails and all kinds of things happen. So this is what is happening. This, this is what is happening. And it could have been, you know, it could have been otherwise. So when, when they realize Think about this. You've read the New Testament. You have that New Testament in, in your hand a lot of time, the Bible in your hand. We take it for granted. But Mark and Luke write, Mark the Gospel of Mark and, God, and Luke the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Why do they do that? Because the story had to be told. It could not die in a jail. They know Paul's dead. Nero just got him. Peter is dead, hung upside down. The ascended Christ is not dead. The whole thing in the jail wasn't about Paul, they realized. It was about Jesus. It's never about how I feel. It's about Jesus. Raised, he has been raised from the dead, and by faith, we live in a new world. Even if our best friend dies, even if our father in the faith dies, so they wrote, when they wrote their dad in the faith is dead and Nero seems to be winning, but Jesus has risen, he's ascended, he rules. I want to tell you, if these leaders had cratered, if they had divided, if they had given up, if they had racially divided into Jewish and Gentile churches, there would have been no new covenant scripture. We would not have the churches we have it, no living churches. It would have all been too small to live. What they were doing was the business of heaven in the jailhouse. It's the same thing you do in your home churches and in this church and in mission all the time. Now, there's a couple of other characters I want to mention here as we kind of wind down toward the end. There's a guy named Epaphras. He's a disciple of Paul, and he's equipped in the jail. You probably never heard of him. I hadn't really paid any attention to him. 
But it turns out that Paul didn't start the Colossae church. He didn't preach there. He equipped a man named Epaphras to go down the road about 100 miles and preach in Colossae. And so he does, and a church happens. People come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those people don't even have a Bible. But they start bringing in all these mystical ideas, and they bring in a bunch of laws, and it's very sophisticated religion they're adding to Jesus. And Epaphras realizes this is uh, beyond my pay grade, and he goes back to Paul and says, Paul, you got to do something about it. Write him a letter. That's one of the reasons Colossae is written. Near this time, though, there's another guy, the last one we'll talk about. His name is Onesimus. Now, one of the people that get, that is, that is converted in the, in the church at Colossae is Philemon. He's got slaves. One thing I want to say this morning is slavery is an abomination. Paul couldn't change it. He didn't have, he didn't have the legal right to change it. It wasn't a democracy. So they got slavery. I just want you to say that the, the preachers in this, in this country who've ever suggested that slavery was still good, that there's something about the races, that somebody should be in charge of the other races, that has nothing to do with Jesus. We all just want to get that straight about this slavery thing. Because Paul can't, he can't do away with the slavery because he doesn't have the power legally to do that. What he can do is transform it from within. And so what happens is Onesimus, oh, Philemon's a Christian. Onesimus runs off and rips off Philemon. In the, in the Roman world, that, that's two capital offenses. You're dead. You're dead twice. So what, so what happens is this guy goes, he knows about Paul, and Paul seemed to be a good guy, but he hadn't become Christian. He goes to the jail in Ephesus, and he becomes a Christian because they're doing the kingdom business in there. So, Paul says, now, you know, uh, Nesimus, I got, this is good news, but I got some bad news for you. Good news and bad news. Easy stuff and hard stuff. Isn't that the way life is? He says, you got to go back to Philemon. Oh, really? I got to go 100 miles back to the guy that had me enslaved? Yeah. What are we doing here? We're bringing back together what was once together, but now torn apart. And he says, you're going to walk down, you're going to walk back down there because Tychicus is going to have two letters. I'm going to, I'm going to put the word on Philemon big time. And he did. Philemon's going to be sitting there on Sunday morning in AD 56. And Tychicus is going to be there reading this out loud to the Colossian church. It's a little house church like your house church. And now Onesimus has just come in. Whoa. Are we going to kill him or what? They're all wondering. They're looking at Philemon thinking, what are you going to do? So there they are. Paul's saying this is a kingdom miracle that Paul envisions. It's like you talk about people have been praying for revelation this morning. You have to have revelation in your head to even dream this could happen. It did. I'll just fast forward a minute. In about 105 AD, Ignatius, one of the early church fathers, writes a letter. You know who he wrote it to? The bishop of the churches in that area. You know what his name was? Onesimus. Onesimus, the slave, became the bishop of the whole area. 
In Colossians, so Colossians is written for a miracle to happen. It's read Colossians out loud three times. It says forgive. Onesimus' name means useful. Like I said, his mother didn't name him that, but probably a slave, his slave master did. Paul tells Philemon that he never he didn't call him by his name anymore. He says, he is your brother now. The whole world's changed. In fact, he talks about how beloved he is. He even says, I'll, get my, I'll bring my checkbook down and I'll write a check for whatever it is that he spent, that he ripped off you by. This is the power of reconciliation in the world. This is what is going on. Now then, let's just look at some scripture and we're this morning as he then writes, uh, he does uh, chapter 1 verses 19 to 20, tells you what's going on here, big picture. Uh, He's putting a lot of pressure on Philemon. But what I wanted you to understand is something bigger than the world has gotten a hold of a small group of people, and they're doing something that literally caused the angels to gasp. This is reconciliation in the world. So look, this is the theology. This is kind of where I was going to go. I was going to talk about this verse, but not do the backstory on it. So when he writes to Colossians, and he's reading this out loud, he's reading this to them, and here's Onesimus sitting here with Philemon. He says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cloths. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. He he says that at one point, this includes you. This has all happened for you. You understand this is happening in the world. God has made peace through his blood, reconciling all things. But there's got to be a local church that, that, that embodies this. The kingdom must come in for a landing. In chapter 3, verse 11, he says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free. Christ is all and in all. This is the only multinational group that anybody knows of in the world because of Jesus. Finally, Let the peace of Christ, in chapter 3, verse 15, rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. The The word for rule is the word umpire. It, It could be translated umpire. So Paul's saying this, church, Let the peace of Christ umpire this church. Anything that's not peaceful from the Lord doesn't belong here. In fact, if you're going to come out of the dugout with a bat, the umpire is going to send you back to the dugout without peace. You may disagree. That's not lack of peace. 
Just don't let your disagreements become division because of your sin. And if you're feeling alienated just because you disagree, then the church becomes a little cult where everybody has to say the same thing like a bunch of Nazis. So, he's saying umpire, the peace of Christ rule really brings it down when you say umpire. You know, umpire is in charge of a game. I only do not get to come out of the bat, as I got with a bat. You don't get to go to the batter's box and even swing, much less from the first. So when I think I'm flying around, running away from everything, all the messes of relationships in my life, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Now, this is really messy and this is really hard. That's why it's, that's why it's heaven. Only heaven can do this. This isn't idealism. This is hard. This is, in fact, it's impossible. It's impossible to have reconciliation from a human point of view. This, this power doesn't exist in the world. That's what he's saying in Colossians 1. This doesn't exist here. The letter is written to help them do what he's calling them to do, what they all know to do. But there has to be spiritual reality here. And it has to be this reconciling, peacemaking reality. So, give the Lord a praise. Would you stand, would you stand please? And the band and the intercessors just come. A lot of talking. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be here. God wants the kingdom to land here. So we invite you just to come for prayer. You probably had stuff you need prayed for before I even talked that has nothing to do with the sermon. Also to come just for healing in your heart takes inward miracle transformation to be a peacemaker. Kindness, gentleness. So Lord, help us right now as you're here with us and you're not beating us up. You love us. You're present with us. You've graced us. But God, help us to move from exclusions to embraces everywhere. in families, and neighborhoods, and races, and red and blue politics, help us to move from exclusions to embraces. And help us now just to come and cry out and ask for help as we sing and pray with each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Come down for any need you have.